The first reading tonight comes from Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisers, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown in the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered, in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human except to you, your majesty would be thrown in the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until the sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. 
They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wounds were found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed them, all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs, performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. The second reading comes from 1 Peter 3, 13 to 18. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Amen. Hi, everyone. Good to be with you. Um, great reading, and thank you for reading it so well. Um, this is an interesting chapter of the Bible, and it comes at a time when I think life in our cultural setting is very complex, yet it's sort of a, a very black and white decision to be made in a very difficult situation for Daniel. And I think it tracks a little bit with us. And here's a picture of uh, Taronga Zoo last week, and uh, that, that even made it to Perth, that news, about the lions. Uh, very interesting situation. And it's interesting looking at that picture. Um, it's not the cuddly story picture, is it? The, the lions are a bit, they're both angry but impotent. They're enraged, but they can't do anything to Daniel. I love that painting because of it. But it's a complex situation because in the last few weeks, I've had people say to me, I wonder when my Andrew Thorburn gotcha moment is going to happen. Uh, Andrew Thorburn, the former one day CEO of Essendon Football Club, was put in a very either this or this situation at the football club around the values framework of the football club versus his Christian values. Values to do with uh, sexuality and gender and affirmation and promoting the LGBTQI diversity program and his Christian framework. And in a complex world where we had to negotiate all different things as Christians and live in different workplaces, it was a very binary problem, wasn't it? You've got to do that or you've got to do this. And that's a bit like the situation that Daniel finds himself in here. 
Because I've had people phone me and say, what do I do? I don't have CEO level security to fall back on from my past. If I lose my job or I get sidelined in my job, it could cost me dearly. So one young bloke phoned me to say, the diversity officer at work wants to see me next week to ask me what I think about certain things around diversity in the workplace. How should I respond to that as a Christian? Big questions. And all these questions have come at a time where the Christian perspective is, we're no longer seen, there's a good book about this, you're no longer seen as the good guys, you're sort of seen as the bad guys. <laughs> that somehow when I was young, back in, just after Daniel got back from Babylon really, um, it was a case of Christianity when I was at school was kind of a bit lame. But I've got friends in public school who are Christian, with Christian kids, and they, they, they're seen as really quite toxic. They're seen as sort of um, bigoted and reactionary kind of people, whereas when I was at school, it was kind of the lame thing to do was to go to church or be a Christian. And now it's like, keep your views to yourself. We don't really want to hear about them because you're a little bit bigoted. And for Daniel in our story, he had a literal den of lions that he was thrown into. And he ended up in there because of this gotcha moment that he was kind of painted into. It was very, he'd navigated the, uh, the court of the despotic kings of Babylon and Persia for decades and been able to you know, make his way through those. But here it comes down to this one issue. And uh, I want to ask the question, how does his experience in his day in this gotcha moment, a very binary do this or do that situation, shape our experiences today? And I want to look at it under three headings about Daniel, that Daniel was faultless in Babylon he was focused on Jerusalem and he was faithful to death. He was faultless, focused and faithful. Uh, Daniel was all three of these and I think there are ways that we can be like Daniel in these situations when our particular gotcha moment might arrive. The first thing is that Daniel was uh, faultless in Babylon. As you read the text, you realise that Daniel is certainly CEO material and not just of a minor football club played by a minor code somewhere in the, another state, ostensibly. Uh, but he was CEO material for the whole of the empire. The king looked at him and thought, I want this guy to actually rule everything. The king had all these different officials and he was uh, putting them in place, but he saw Daniel was actually special. And this is what it says. Uh, this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, verse 3, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. See, Daniel wasn't living a life for God where you just keep your head down and the point at work is to not steal the pencils. It, he was living a life that was an excellent life in the public square. And he was gifted, no doubt, but that's not what set him apart from everyone else. It says an excellent spirit was in him. There was something about his character that the king noticed. There was something about the way he lived, a joined-up life. And we, we notice it in the text twice that uh, the, the king says of Daniel, the God whom you serve continually. There was no park God there on Sunday night and get Monday to Friday done a different way. This is a man who lived a joined-up life. There was something about Daniel in the eyes of the king where his integrity was deep beyond dispute. There was something about Daniel that a leader like the king wanted. But there was something about Daniel as a leader 
that other people didn't like. They were jealous. It says, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Do you get the impression from the text that there was no error or fault in him? It lays it on thick, all right? And what's going on here, it's, whether it's 21st century office politics in the tower down the road, or it's, you know, 6th centuries BC political intrigue in the palace, some things don't change. There are people that may be out to get you. The king may have wanted Daniel, but everyone else was jealous. So they set to work on checking him out. As you do, they went to the HR department and said, you know, could you hack his Facebook page? So we want to see a little bit about, you know, are there any pictures of him standing on the table with three beers in his hands like this? And, you know, is, is there something on his Twitter account? Has he said something about... Nothing. They go through his accounts, clean as a whistle. He hasn't bribed anyone to do anything, like divert a railway line around someone's property who's paying him off or something like that. Nothing... Not that that would ever happen in 21st century Sydney. I just want to make that clear. That's a Perth thing, I'll tell you that. There's nothing on him. He's a clean skin. A clean skin. I think in the past, we probably thought we could reach high levels of everything in a workplace just on the basis of our integrity being enough. And I, I kind of wonder, will it? What if there's a chink in our armour, like there is going to be in Daniel's? And what if the chink in our armour is actually something that drives our integrity? The thing that is so appealing about us becomes the thing that's quite problematic about us. And I think that's perhaps a little bit where some Christians in the workplace are feeling in a rapidly changing culture. What if uh, the chink in our armour is to do with our integrity around God, with the fact that we worship God continually and there's no sort of compartmentalised part of our... No room in our lives that we say, lock off and say, that's the yucky stuff. Uh, We're not going to go there, but God can have everything else. But that's not what Daniel was like. He lived a full life. What if the integrity that we think we have is now the problem, is viewed as bigotry, because we hold to a picture of human flourishing and what it means to be a human that's based in the Bible. And we've treated people accordingly that way. We've loved and served people because they're made in the image of God. But suddenly the idea that they're made in the image of God and made in the image of God, male and female, he created them is sort of, it's a little bit tenuous in our culture. What if our Christian faith is no longer part of the solution in our society or our workspace, but part of the problem? When I say that, that's kind of where things are headed for Daniel, that his picture of who God is is going to shape his life in such a way that it's going to come in conflict with what other people are doing. Because what does it say? They couldn't find anything on him. Then they say this, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God, verse 5. So we're not going to find anything on him unless it's in connection with the one thing that Daniel won't give up on. (laughs) You can see how he's got this gotcha moment happening. And they're pretty smart. I mean, they got to where they were in the empire by being smart. So they're going to come up with something. 
So what happens when the law of Daniel's God comes into conflict with the values of the kingdom in which he lives and of the king whom he serves? See, Christians, God's people today, this is always our issue because we're supposed to live a joined-up life, so to speak, holistically living our lives for God. Yet when you go from here today, it's not like you're going to walk down the road and there's billboards saying, praise God, tomorrow at work, make sure you pray on your way to work so that you can serve people better. It just doesn't work that way. That's not the world we live in. And our culture is now saying, well, you've got to bring your whole self to work. Be who you are at work. And I don't know if I want to be because I might get thrown to the proverbial lions. Because Daniel is bringing his whole self to work and it's about to come in conflict with what's going on. And and the ground shifts pretty quickly. At one moment, Daniel is going to be, you know, considered to be in charge of the kingdom and the next minute, things change. So no longer can we merely be, I think, in our culture, viewed as I tolerate, you know, I love a person and I don't agree with necessarily their lifestyle. Now it has to be, you have to be affirming and celebrating lifestyles that I don't think the Bible gives us the um, framework to celebrate. Keeping your head down isn't enough these days, so it would seem. So the gotcha moment was really quite easy, wasn't it? They simply found something that Daniel could not affirm, no matter what he did, and there it is. They go to the king and they, they kind of flatter the king's ego with this plan, and they've obviously seen something about Daniel pertaining to his God that they know this is the weak point. And they say, whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. They found something that Daniel could not affirm. For decades, Daniel had survived in the empire. And suddenly it comes down to this. And it's such a small thing, isn't it? It's such a small thing. Do you notice what they said? Just 30 days. Just do it 30 days, King. Just sign that and it'll be okay. And you can imagine, perhaps, the pressure that you might feel. I've served this court. I've been God's person. I've lived a joined-up life. I've got an excellent spirit. I could do so much good in this place. And all I have to do to make sure I keep doing good in this place is just for a mere 30 days out of the decades I've served here, just pray to the king. Just 30 days. It's just 30 days. A month. What's that compared to a lifetime of service? It's just one day. Tomorrow, you know, it's wear it purple day. It's just one day. You could affirm it for tomorrow, and after that, you can get back to living how you will. It's just one round of footy with that jersey on. You should do it. Because next week, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a blockbuster game and we're up for the finals. Just do it. What will Daniel do? Well, what did Daniel do? Because this is the fulcrum moment, the point where the seesaw is going to tip one way or the other, really. It says he focused on Jerusalem. What does it say? 
Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Verse 10. It's a great story. I love the way they put this story together. It's almost like God had a hand in it. But it's the hinge of the story, isn't it? The conflict has surfaced. And how will Daniel respond to this ironically very binary moment in a very complex world. Here's the thing. He may have been faultless in Babylon, but he wasn't actually focused on Babylon. It wasn't where his hope lay. Daniel was focused on Jerusalem. It says his windows opened towards Jerusalem and that he prayed three times a day as he had done before. Now, what's going on here, and why is it important to us? Now, first of all, the windows open towards Jerusalem. Let's explore that. Can you imagine being Daniel in a place like the Empire, which was a bit like New York of its day, and your hope is in your small town, Hicksville, at the back of beyond, and your windows are open in that direction, and you're going, that's where my hope is. Daniel was an exile from Babylon. The empire had destroyed Jerusalem, crushed it, ripped down the temple, destroyed the city. It was a rubble heap. And Daniel was saying, that's where my hope lies. Everyone else is saying, get on the right side of history, Daniel. But he says, actually, no. Babylon didn't have his heart. It looked like he was on the wrong side of history because he's praying towards the rubble heap, the place that lost. How do you know how you would respond to a gotcha moment like Daniel? How do you know? Well, here's what I'd say. Just ask yourself, what are the indications in your life as to where your hope is? And it's interesting... um, that Derek Thompson, who writes for The Atlantic, wrote an article about the the corresponding decline in religious observance in the United States at the same time that work had taken on a huge level of significance in people's lives. He says that work has moved from being a means of material production to being a means of identity production. And I reckon in a city like Sydney, you can pull a lot of work levers that give you a lot of kudos, they give you a lot of status, meaning, significance, and approval, whether that's internal approval because of where you've found yourself, or external approval of others being impressed by who you are. It can almost do for you at an existential level what a religion can. And here's how you know whether the empire or the rubble heap has your heart. If you're asked to take a stand in any way ethically at your workplace, and that's not just around sexual identity, it's around how you operate, whether you turn a blind eye to something, whether you gossip, whatever you do, where is your reflex move? (laughs) Where will you put your hope? You see, unless our salvation story is locked away in 
the rubble heap of Jerusalem, in fact, in a hill outside Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified, which is double shame, unless it's there, unless you put your hopes there, your identity there, you'll be a sucker for that every time. Just your cave. Because <laughs> we lean into the place where we're focusing our hopes. I think that's true of us as humans. And then we backfill a justification for that. Uh, I don't know if that's anyone else. <laughs> or is that just me? That's the first thing. Windows open towards Jerusalem. My hope's there. The second thing is just that throwaway line, but it's not really a throwaway line. Just as he had done before. I love that line. You can't take out of the bank what you haven't put in. Do you get what I mean by that? You you can't take out of the bank what you haven't put in. This is about Daniel crafting almost like a spiritual neural pathway in his life that his reflex move is to keep doing what he'd already been doing in a discipleship way. I think this, just as he had done before, is critical to God's people. That if we've got a sort of light version of what it means to be God's people, where we're not connected in deep with each other, where we're not being discipled by each other and living in a thick, rich community that is able to help shape us in this rather toxic culture, we're going to get blown away by it, by whatever's out there. But Daniel did what he had done before, and that's a challenge. You see, it's not just that you're being discipled here. You do realise that there's a fantastic discipleship program Monday to Saturday in the rest of the world, and when you live in a city like this, it's pretty good. You know, I've had a good couple of days so far compared to Hicksville back in... No, don't say that about Perth. It's great here. It's got a fantastic discipleship program. And if you pull all the right levers, it will produce. But when crisis comes, we will default to the discipleship program that is most influential in our lives and where we've put our time and attention. And we will do just what we had done before in a crisis. Don't think that when the crisis comes, you'll sort of muscle up. I'm saying now is the time for God's people to think the next 30 years could be very hostile, but they could also be very attractive from the cultural perspective that could draw us away because there's so much good stuff on offer. I I kind of think that the bad life is less likely to entice us away from Jesus than the good life. I figure. We've got to double down on what it means to be disciples of Jesus. I think it's critical to our lives. I mean, you think of the movies where aliens are zombies. That's just plucking two out of the air. In the zombie movie where there's a flaky guy and, you know, it's like he's suddenly going to find resources from within himself that he has never had before. Not in your life. He's first to go when the zombies arrive or he's throwing his family in front of them. He's not going to be the hero of the movie. You can only draw out of the bank what's already there. We go into a discipleship program out there in the world Monday to Saturday which wants to offer us absolute meaning, absolute identity 
And unless we've got a discipleship program that counters that, it's deep and thick and rich, we might just be surprised when we try to draw down on a deposit that we don't have. (laughs) The empire will win every time. So when the gotcha moment comes, we will do as we have done before, whatever that is. That's the issue. Daniel did as he had done before, which means what? Which means this, doesn't it? Daniel is faithful to death. And not just the death of his career, not just the death of his hopes and dreams or even some relationships that he'd really valued, which turn on him a little because your views aren't quite what we think. Daniel is faithful to death, and so to the lions he goes. And the officials come to the king, and the king realises through his own stupid ego, he's been gamed. He's been completely gamed. There's nothing he can do about it because of the edict that he's signed. And so he tries to find ways, but no, he can't do it. In one perverse way, he's got to honour the agreement. And it says, the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually, says that twice, whom you serve continually, deliver you. He can see the jealous plot for what it is, but he's got to obey his own edict. And then a stone is rolled over the entrance of the lion's den. And night, literal and proverbial, falls. And the king anguishes and evil has its day and its night. And in the morning, the king, sleepless, distraught, rushes to the lion's den and he calls out, Are you alive? (laughs) And then he hears this. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. There's a deep emotional depth between the king asking that and Daniel answering that, isn't there? And Daniel's alive. We love a happy ever after story, don't we? I do love a happy ever after story and fairy stories end with happily ever after. Uh, Though I would say, if you are going to read this to your kids or grandkids before going to bed, don't read the bit about, and then they took the other people and threw them with their kids in there and they all got eaten. The end. Now go to sleep, kids. See you in the morning. Don't read that bit. But it does feel like a happy ever after story, doesn't it? Because look what happens. It's uh, not even just Daniel uh, is praising God, but King Darius is. Then the king Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. And look how it ends. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, that's an important bit there at the end because what's happened is that this story is telling us in the first six chapters of Daniel, that Daniel started his life as an exile from Judea and was brought into the court of a king who had exiled all of God's people, and he survived to the point where a king called Cyrus 
was on the throne, and Cyrus sent the exiles back to Jerusalem so that they could live at home again. This spans the whole narrative. God's in charge here. God's in charge of this picture. That's what's going on. Daniel is living under the kingship of God. It's a happily ever after story, and all fairy stories have that happily ever after bit. Except this isn't a fairy story. This is a gospel story. So I don't want us to jump too quickly to draw fairy story conclusions from this story. This is not a simple, pull this lever this way and God will pull his lever that way and it'll all sort out no matter what happens for you in the culture. And obviously for a start, Andrew Thorburn didn't get to keep his job. (laughs) Just thought I might mention that in case you were under any illusions. And the culture might press us harder in the workplace. We might find it harder to have certain jobs. Some jobs may be closed off to Christians on ethical reasons. It's already happening. The pressure is on. In fact, you might get thrown to the lions proverbially, like Daniel did. We read the reading from 1 Peter, and it seems... You know, persecution seems pretty high up on the list. You know, people reviling you because of you following Jesus seems pretty high up the list there. An excellent spirit might be in you, but if your Christianity is viewed as non-inclusive, then that might not be enough. I don't want us to get into a sophisticated prosperity gospel idea that if we do the right thing by God, he's duty-bound to make it all work out for us. I don't think that's how this thing works. We may be rescued in the here and now. The culture may again shift in our favour, but let's not put all our tickets on that, right? Because there's another story in the book of Daniel about his three friends who end up facing a fiery furnace for similar reasons, for refusing to bow before a golden statue. And they said to the king then, our God is perfectly capable of rescuing us. But if not, I love those words, but if not, know this, we will not bow down, no matter what you do. Our God is perfectly capable of making conditions much more favourable for us as we live in the 21st century Western world, but if not, we will not bow down. We will not be rude or arrogant or nasty, but we will serve our God continually in a joined-up life sort of way, whatever the cost. We might get thrown to the proverbial lions or put in the proverbial fiery furnace because the message of Jesus is take up your cross and follow me. Self-denial is the message of the cross, not self-actualization. But here's ultimately why this is a gospel story, because the story is not ultimately about you and your personal lions and personal Daniels. The story is about Jesus. Jesus is the Daniel that we look to. And how do I know that? Because Jesus fulfills... Daniel's 
framework. Jesus is the one, and he could say to those who were accusing him, who of you can find sin in me? No one could. He was faultless. Faultless before the ruler of the universe. Faultless before the leaders of his people. But jealous leaders accused him nonetheless and brought him before a witless leader of the people, Pilate, who ushered an unjust judgment against his own desires. <laughs> and Jesus is taken to that hill outside Jerusalem and crucified, thrown to the lions, so to speak. And a stone is rolled over the entrance and night descends. And then one morning, raised up without a scratch, because you can't keep a good man down, right? Raised to the right hand of the glory on high, where he could look over there and say, it's a long way down there to second in charge of Babylon. That's Jesus. This is a Jesus story. And that makes a difference for us. The same Jesus that went to the cross, that was persecuted, that was reviled, has been raised, and he is our king, so that when it happens to us, we neither need to get angry or despair. Those are not good options. We have a hope. And our hope is no matter what it ends up like in this life, one day we will stand before the true ruler who has been raised and prospers over all kingdoms and whatever they have said about us in the culture, whatever you have had to put up with in a work setting or the pain of friendship losses or whatever, you will hear this from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done good and faithful servant. And I don't think it may be easy over the next 30 to 50 years in our Western setting. But it's only 30 to 50 years. <laughs> I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, on that day when all the empires of this world bow their knee to Jesus. See, whatever the turn of events, the story of Daniel fulfilled in Jesus and offered to us, enables us to be faultless in this city, focused on the new Jerusalem and faithful to the end. Till that day. Amen.